What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Politics by Faith. My name is Mike Slater. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, downloading, leaving a review, five stars, sending me an email, Slater Radio at gmail.com. Particular shout out to Lisa in Kremlin, Colorado. Beautiful Kremlin, Colorado. And everyone who sends me an email, very grateful. Again, SlaterRadio at gmail.com. So the, the mission of the show is to take something in the news that's causing anxiety, break it down, lament the brokenness, then provide some historical perspective and biblical peace that makes the anxiety go away. And then we can talk about what's truly in our control. And today, this is a story that if you're paying attention, <laughs> should cause anxiety. So we have to talk about it. The U.S. military has now shot down a fourth object over American soil. Are we in another Cold War with another superpower? And is this the beginning of a hot war? So what's going on here? Before we begin, I want to make note of a historical bias that I don't know if it has a name or not. I'll call it the high school textbook bias. When you read your high school history textbook in 10th grade, and you got to the section on the Cold War, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and America was given two pages. And the beginning of the Cold War, the rise of the Cold War, was given a paragraph. And that paragraph took 20 seconds to read. So we think, our brains think, that the rise of the Cold War took about 20 seconds. Well, it took us 20 seconds to read about it. So in real life, it took 20 seconds to actually happen. That's what our brains think. So in the present time, when something doesn't rise from zero to Cold War in about 20 seconds, we tend to conclude that nothing is really happening. Oh, it's overblown. It's not a big deal. Or we're like worried, but then 20 seconds go by. We're like, oh, whew, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> like, no, no. Things can take many years to develop. And decades from now, this moment in time would be summarized in a paragraph in some high school textbook somewhere. But it would take years or decades in real time to, uh, to grow. To prove that point, no one can give an exact date as to when the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union officially began. No one even knows. Like it was that nebulous of a growth. We're like, I don't even know when it started, technically. So when will we know if we're in a Cold War with China? Maybe we already are. And maybe the history textbooks in a couple decades will mark a date well before today, 
That's when the Cold War with China officially began. Maybe the textbooks will include when uh, COVID started as part of that initial Cold War. So just think of that as we're chatting here about uh, what Cold War we could actually be in right now. So all that being said, what's going on with this story? Four objects now shot down over American soil. So uh, object number one, that was the Chinese surveillance balloon. January 28th, it came over our airspace, the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. We let it fly over Alaska, then uh, down over Canada, and then ended up in Montana when Larry Mayer looked up and saw a balloon, and he was a news photographer, so he had a high-powered camera, and he was able to take a video of it. The Pentagon was very embarrassed that someone saw it. Now they had to acknowledge it, and they let it sail across the country over our military bases, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we shot it out of the sky on February 4th. So it was eight days later after the first sighting in Alaska shot it off of the beach of uh, Myrtle Beach. So Republicans said, oh, you know, Trump never would have let this happen. And the Pentagon came back and said, no, this happened three times under Donald Trump. And Trump said, what? And all of his officials, even those who don't like him, said that that never happened. So who knows what to believe there? What damage did that first surveillance balloon cause? Well, we'll never know for sure. This is House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall. He's a Republican from Texas on CBS's Face the Nation. In this case, a sophisticated spy balloon that went across three uh, nuclear sites, I think it's important to say, uh, in plain view of the American people. You know, in Montana, the Triad site, air, land, and sea nuclear weapons in Omaha, uh, this spy balloon went over uh, our strategic command, which is our most sensitive nuclear site. It was so sensitive that President Bush was taken there after 9-11. And then finally, Missouri, <clears throat> the B-2 bomber, uh, that's where they are uh, placed. Um, it did a lot of damage. I didn't know that about George Bush after 9-11, but sure enough, the president flew from Florida. That's where he was. Remember, he was reading to the kids in the elementary school, and he found out about the attack on 9-11, and then they flew to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, an Air Force base, down to a nuclear bunker 40 feet underground. Wow. And that's where the spy balloon was on top. So uh, it's believed that the balloon is able, a balloon is able to gather more detailed images than they can from a satellite. Uh, that congressman said it was done with provocation to gather intelligence data and collect intelligence on our three major nuclear sites in the country. Why? Because they're looking at what? What is our capability in the event of a possible future conflict in Taiwan? They're really assessing what we have in this country. More on Taiwan in a minute. So that was the first spy balloon. That's the one most people know. We did an uh, episode on that last week. Second uh, object, we blew out of the sky. It was February 9th, five days later. It was another object over northern Alaska. Two F-35s were sent to go check that out. They blew it up. They said it was to be balloon-like. Balloon-like. So we shot that down. Third object was the next day, February 10th. Two uh, F-22s monitored it over Alaska. And then the Canadian Air Force joined in when it crossed into Canadian airspace. And we shot it down 100 miles uh, into Canadian territory over the Yukon Territory. This was uh, described as a small cylindrical object. A not a balloon. I don't know. And then the fourth object, February 12th, just two days after the third. This is over Lake Huron, Michigan. We're told the object was found on radar over Montana. And then uh, it was on the 10th. And then on the 11th over Wisconsin. And then uh, February 12th, 
over Michigan and was shot it down. It was traveling at 20,000 feet. That's low. The balloon, the original balloon was 60,000, so twice as high as an airplane, 30,000. But this was only 20,000. And this was called an octagonal object. So we shot it over the lake. So we're just shooting stuff out of the sky all the time now, I guess. Is this like a normal thing we're going to be doing? So here's the big question. Have there always been this many foreign objects in the sky all the time? And we're now just paying closer attention? Like, like if you were ever on one of the Great Lakes and you look up and you're like, oh, like, that's a, like are there always Chinese spy balloons? So has this always been a thing and we're just now noticing or have we always known we just have a new desire to shoot them out of the sky? Does that make sense? And I think that difference matters. Is China all of a sudden sending a bunch of balloons and drones our way or have they always been doing this and we're just now notice and we now just decided to shoot them? But it's pretty wild. Like don't let, let's not be cynical enough to miss the fact that the U.S. military is shooting foreign objects out of the sky over Michigan. That is quite surreal. The FAA closed airspace over Michigan, declared it a national defense airspace. Michigan. This is an invasion that we in America are not used to. We've never seen this. 9-11, that wasn't a major superpower. Pearl Harbor was way over in Hawaii. Most Americans never even heard of Pearl Harbor when they heard about it on the radio. That it was Pearl Harbor was under attack. They're like, what? What's that? We've all heard of Michigan. So you got to go to like War of 1812 or Mexican-American War. It was 1848. It's like, is there an attack on American soil? This has not an attack yet, but an intrusion. I think it should be quite concerning that foreign powers are even thinking about flying over our airspace in the continental United States of America. So that's what's going on. But let's talk about what's really going on here. We have a communist country spying on our capabilities to see if we are able to defend against their eventual attack against Taiwan. And that's, I believe, what the root of this is. It's about Taiwan. So here's your crash course on Taiwan. We'll put 90 seconds on the clock here. After this, you'll be smarter than anyone you know on this topic. So in the 1600s, China took control over this island of Taiwan. Small island is the size of Maryland, uh, just off the coast of China. So you got to go back to the 1600s. China took control. Then the Japanese took it from them in 1895. There's a war between China and Japan. Japan won. So Japan now owns Taiwan. Then there was a civil war in China between the nationalists and the communists. That was Chairman Mao. Killed more people than anyone in history. The nationalists lost, and they fled to Taiwan. Then when Japan lost World War II, because they had Taiwan, but they lost World War II, the Chinese nationalists took over control of Taiwan, which is why today Taiwan says they're in control of Taiwan. (laughs) Taiwan says we're But the communists in China say, no, no, we've been there since the 1600s. And the people in Taiwan now are like, yeah, but then it was Japan and and now we're Taiwan. Now, the Chinese military has 2 million people in it. Taiwan has 150,000. So Taiwan will get crushed the second that China decides to take them over. But then America. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, 
you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's our strategic interest in Taiwan? I don't know. 65% of our computer chips are made there. That's something. They're a free country. Taiwan. We promised we would. I don't know. As we get closer to this war, I'm sure we'll all learn more about what our exact specific strategic interest is. But China has an interest in them being communist. And this could come to blows. Okay, let's, uh, I'm not feeling good, Slater. This podcast is supposed to make me feel good. What are we doing? Are you willing to go to war with China? You going to do that? This is the lament section, by the way. So it's a lament for Are you willing to go to war with China? You want to do that? I don't trust the people in charge. That's what I lament. I don't trust them at all. Same people, literally the same people uh, that, that put us into Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't mean the same types of people. I mean, it's sometimes the same people. And they just don't tell us the truth or they're very wrong. They're just wrong all the time. Someone tried to alleviate my worries of the rise of China by uh, sending me a podcast that some Chinese expert was on, uh, Joe Rogan. Was on Joe Rogan's show and talking about how China is in desperate situation, particularly with their population. And and in total, they're on the decline. Most people think China's on the rise. This guy's like, no, 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 give it 10 years and China will be nothing. Now, the Ch- here's some points. The Chinese birth rate is one of the worst in the world. 1.28 children per woman. That's awful. Uh, a country's replacement rate is 2.2. Now, we're below 2.2. We got a lot of immigrants, though, to keep us above the, the 2.2. Uh, so we're a growing country, at least population-wise. Uh, China's a shrinking one. They're paying people to have kids. They're offering free fertility treatment. But it's hard because there's not a lot of women there because of the one-child policy. People killed a lot of the girls. So they're in a bad shape there. But uh, that doesn't bring me solace <laughs> because like, the idea that China may collapse on its own if anything, makes me more concerned because now they're even more desperate. President Xi of China is not going to go down without a fight. He must be the world's superpower and he won't stop until they are. And if it looks like they won't be, they're not just going to be like, ah, well, we gave, we gave it a best shot. <laughs> we don't have any more people anymore. We're a declining country. Oh, well. No, that's when they make stupid, desperate military moves. 
And another problem, if I may worry you even more before we turn, is China has hypersonic missiles. We do not. And not only does America not have hypersonic missiles, we don't have the ability to defend against hypersonic missiles. Now, we have other military capabilities, of course. But when it comes to that big one, we don't, we can't defend it. So in that, in that regard, we are sitting ducks. And let's say they use them. Do we have the will to defend ourselves? Do we? I don't know. I think we take it for granted. Like after 9-11, like we're going to war. I don't know if we have that in us today. Hmm. That's something to think about. I don't know. I think over the years, we've projected too much weakness. Our enemies think we're weak. And uh, I think our leaders have been too quick to go to war. It seems like you can't be both those things because we, we think strong means fighting wars. So we've been too quick to go to war, but it's made us weak. I believe peace through strength. So if it's true that you can have peace, which is what we all want, through strength, our weakness could lead us to war. And that I deeply lament, especially because my, I mean, who knows how long this will take to go back to our history thing, but I got kids, a six-year-old, so my son could join the military in 12 years. Do I want him to go to Taiwan? No. All right, all right, I got to feel better. We got we, we to make a turn here. Let's talk some history, then we'll get to the Bible. Historical perspective. Okay, I don't want to go to war. I don't want this to kick off into a war. I don't want all the problems that come with war. The truth is, war is such a part of life. I think it is fair to say that it is the norm of human existence. To live a life untouched by war is nearly unthinkable. But, depending how old you are, it's all we know. In my lifetime, I have never been directly touched by war. 0.7% of our nation has served in the military. 0.7%. So yes, I lived through the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. And I know people who have been there, who have gone there, who have been sent there. I live in San Diego, we're a military town. But unless you're in the direct circle of that 0.7%, these wars have not changed your life in any way. Now, you're going to say, three of my sons went to Iraq and one of my kids died. Okay, you're in that circle. You're in the small minority, 0.7%. It hasn't affected nearly enough people, these wars. We haven't had to sacrifice because of the war effort. right? There's, we haven't had victory gardens. We haven't had to ration goods like in World War II for the war effort. We haven't had to buy war bonds. You know, you know what I mean? But like a mass mobilization. If 0.07% of the people have served in the military, those are the people and their circle. So we'll extend it to, I don't know, 3% of the population has been affected. Uh, lives have changed because of the Iraq and Afghanistan war. 3%. That means 97% not. We, yes, we fought the you know, longest war ever in Afghanistan. But we also, at the same time, have been so disconnected from war in a potentially unprecedented way. Because norm is, uh, war has always been the norm. I mean, Native Americans, you live in a Native American tribe, you were constantly fighting. It was, it was your way of life. That's, that's just what you were. You, that's what you did. 
You'll hear from time to time, uh, Mount Rushmore will come up because the Lakota Indian tribe complains about how the white man stole the land so we could build Mount Rushmore. And that was their ancient ancestral land. What are you talking about? You stole it from the Cheyenne in the 1770s. And then you took it from the Kiowa who took it from the Crow and the Pawnee. And it goes on. Like they're always warring and fighting. Do you think when the uh, uh, Lakota took it from the Cheyenne, do you think they just, excuse me, uh, we would like this land here. And the Cheyenne were like, oh, 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 okay, sure. Yeah, go ahead. We'll just, um, we'll just skedaddle out of here. No, that didn't go nicely. There was uh, something called the Crow Creek Massacre. I'll tell you the year it happened in just a second here. But this was in South Dakota. And there were two tribes who lived in the area. And they were always at war with each other. And we recently, some archaeologists, recently unearthed remains of 486 people. And almost all of them, almost 100%, had signs of ritual mutilation. What? Particularly scalping. So you take the enemy, and you cut off all the skin, their hair, and you rip it off their head. 486 people. Ritual mutilation. There was evidence of tongues being removed, teeth broken, beheadings, hands and feet cut off. Just ritual dismemberment. Uh... Other remains, we could tell malnutrition, uh, earlier wounds from other attacks, just constant battle, constant warfare. This was in South Dakota. This was the mid-1200s. <laughs> Such so ancient tribes everywhere, always fighting. Villages raped and pillaged. It was a constant. You know, we romanticize not only our Native Americans, but also the Vikings. I think like funny Viking hats and stuff. In Viking culture, there, were, there was no police. So you took justice into your own hands. So it was constant revenge all the time. And therefore, you lived in constant fear, but the fear made you strong. They're very brutal, warlike people, and they also invented these shallow boats so they could land directly on sandy beaches. They didn't have to park it out and then somehow get to the land. They could just go right up on the sand, and they could travel up rivers and raid all the towns that were on the water. So these Viking raiding parties were between 500 and 1,000 warriors in the early 1800s. But in the late 1800s, there'd be as many as 10,000 Vikings in these raiding parties. Uh, let me quote. This is someone who lived in a town that was raided by Vikings. Uh, he says, Lo, it is nearly 350 years that we and our fathers have inhabited this most lovely land, and never before has such terror appeared in Britain as we have now suffered from a pagan race, the Vikings. Nor was it thought that such an inroad from the sea could be made. Like, how'd they even get here? Behold, the church of St. Cuthbert splattered with the blood of the priests of God despoiled of all its ornaments. They took everything. A place more venerable than all in Britain is given as a prey to pagan peoples. What should be expected of other places when the divine judgment has not spared this holy place? It's like, oh, these brutal Vikings are going to go from town to town, steal everything, kill everyone. They took the bishop and instead of stoning him to death, they boned him. So they, they buried him and pelted him with bones, breaking his skull. So they died and he didn't die. So they uh, took an ax to his head. That was the priest or the, the bishop. The uh, Arabs were appalled at the Vikings. This is the year 920. Uh, one Arab leader called them the filthiest of Allah's creatures. They do not wash hands after defecating, nor after sexual intercourse and do not wash after eating. They are like wayward donkeys. And then the Vikings engaged in ritualistic mass 
fornication suicides. It's like why? So like a, like a chief would die, and then people would voluntarily sacrifice themselves to be uh, raped and mutilated as they were murdered. It's like what in the world were the Vikings? But that was their way of life. That was this what I just described. There was the second most noble way to die. The most noble was battle, of course. So if you died in battle, these like angel-like servants to the god Odin would swoop down and take you up and you would spend eternity in Valhalla, which is like this giant banquet hall of fellow warriors where you would feast all day and night. Very similar in a way to the uh, you know, 72 virgins, the Muslim 72 virgins, right? All day. So why do I bring this up? This is a horrific slide. You still haven't really made the turn because raiding and being raided and massacres and being massacred and being scalped was a part of life. It was normal. It was Darn well expected. The unusual thing was to see such peace and prosperity like we've seen in our lives. Quick sidebar, the word berserk. Like, oh, he's going berserk. It means bear shirt because the Vikings would would sometimes cover themselves with bear skin coverings and they would go like crazy when raiding. They go they go like like psychologically otherworldly crazy and the people in the town they couldn't believe it like people are insane they got going berserk we've lived in pax americana we have a time of incredible peace for the average american citizen how long can this last i hope much longer we were uh close during the cold war when the soviet union put missiles in cuba we were closer to war than we, than we even realized at the time. And we were pretty freaked out at the time. We thought that the missiles were partially assembled. They were fully assembled. They were assembled, armed, and ready to go. So that moment, the Cuban Missile Crisis was scarier and even more dire than we thought at the time. Also during the Cold War, a Russian tanker ship approached the quarantine line. A Russian submarine surfaced. And how about this? Do you know an American U-2 spy plane was shot down over Cuba? And the American pilot was killed. Rudolf Anderson was his name. An American was killed in the Cold War. That's not so cold. An American died. But cooler heads prevailed over time. But this brutal, the brutalness of life is the normal. Check out this scene. We'll start in Joshua 10. So the city of Gibeon made peace with Israel. See, the people of Gibeon made peace with Israel. This was after Joshua destroyed Jericho and the city of Ai, A-I. So Gibeon's like, ah, we want peace with you. And Israel would always offer peace. Um, But Gibeon was the only city that made it. So all the other cities were terrified. All the other kingdoms, I should say, were terrified of what was coming from Joshua. And they didn't want peace. So five neighboring kings gathered up to attack Gibeon. And Joshua says, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So the people of Gibeon went to Joshua. You with me on the players? Should we do it, do it again? So, so uh, Joshua and the Israelites defeat Jericho and I. Gibeon's like, we don't want any of that. We want peace. Then these other kings were like, we hate you now, Gibeon, and we're going to attack you. So Gibeon goes to Joshua and says, save us, protect us. So the Lord routed them before Israel. Who routed, who routed, Joshua and the Israelites were like, yeah, we'll protect you, Gibeon. So they rose up and they routed the five kings' armies who were coming to attack Gibeon, 
who just made peace with Israel. So then when they were fleeing, God sent down hailstones from heaven. And it says more people died from the hail than the sword. So the five kings are freaked out. They go and hide in a cave. Joshua trapped them in the cave, killed them, hung them on five trees, and then threw their bodies back in the cave. Now, that sounds brutal, maybe too brutal for you. Keep in mind, the Canaanites were the most wicked of people. And, and God wasn't so much about killing the people here as much as their idolatry. He demanded none of it be left when the Israelites came into the promised land. So all the idolatry needed to be wiped away. So the rest of Joshua 10 is all about raising different cities, just taking them out. And all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. So that's Joshua 10. Joshua 11 starts talking about the city of Hazor, H-A-Z-O-R. So the king of Hazor, he heard what happened. Joshua winning all these battles, taking over all these cities. Uh, so Hazor gathered up all the armies of the kingdoms of the north. As many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. Very many with horses and chariots to go fight against Israel. This is Joshua 11. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. He utterly destroyed them. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now, there's a ton to talk about with all this. And a lot of this violence can be hard for a modern reader to even fathom. Worth noting, this is mostly exaggerated, right? Because it says, you know, all the Canaanites were completely destroyed, but then a little while later it talks about meeting with Canaanites. So they weren't all completely destroyed. But you get the idea. It was about driving out this evil idolatry. And an interesting side point, this shouldn't be side though, Joshua and Jesus, where Joshua drove out evil with death and violence and war, Jesus triumphed over death because of the violence he endured. Isn't that interesting? So Joshua committed the violence. Jesus endured the violence. Joshua brought victory at the expense of the enemy's blood. But Jesus bought victory for his enemies through the shedding of his own blood. It, like Complete opposites in that regard, which is a beautiful thing. The secular point I want to make here is that battles and war have always been a part of life. And this changes our mindset. Now, I'm not saying we got to, so it's, this is normal, so let's go. No, no, don't want it. But if, when it comes, let's not, woe is me, woe is us. This is life. Let's be grateful we don't have it right now. It's always been a part of life. And if full-on war has not been a person's existence, the threat of war or invasion has been constantly on people's minds, except for most of us for our entire lives. Invasion? Have you ever given a second to thinking about an invasion in America? It's unfathomable. There's never been a people on earth where that's been unfathomable. I don't know if there's ever been a people on earth where it hasn't happened all the time. We are in a very unique situation, but we're not necessarily safe forever. 
Okay, so what's in my control, Slater? Well, again, don't be alarmed when it happens. This is the norm of life. Let's pray it doesn't turn into anything more. I'm okay with shooting some balloons out of the sky. Let's not let's pray it doesn't get any worse. Let's pray we don't send Americans to Taiwan. But let's not be surprised or taken out if it does. The best advice, the thing that's in your control is the thing that's always in your control. People asked Jesus about the Galileans who went to the temple to sacrifice. And when they were there, they were slaughtered by Pontius Pilate. People were like, what's that? What was that about? And Jesus said, yeah, you know, those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. That's terrible things happen. And people are like, well, what do we do with that? And Jesus responded, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So there's a lot going on with those stories. I mean, the first main point is it's wrong to assume that just because something bad happened to someone, whether it's at the hands of humans like Pilate or uh, a natural disaster, a tower falling on you, don't assume that these people were worse sinners than you. The question isn't, why did the bad thing happen to them? The question is, why did the bad thing not happen to you? But either way, Jesus' conclusion was, repent. You're worried about those people who died? You will too. You should repent. So what's in our control? Always about getting right with God. Because then when you read the stories of the great Christian martyrs, if you're right with God, what can they even take from you? So final thought to think about tonight, thing to meditate on. The real battle, the one that's going on right now, it's not a cold war at all. It's not a cold war. It's not something that we pray doesn't happen or we hope one day it doesn't, but it might in a decade or so. The real battle right now today, as you're listening to this, and I will say it and you will dismiss it, and that is proof that it's actually the battle that's going on, is between you and the devil. Or we'll focus on us and China. No question. No question. We'll focus on us and China. The real battle, you and the devil right now. Ephesians 6.10, we'll start there. Finally, and as I'm reading this, think, think about it. Visualize it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood and balloons, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Mm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, Maybe you, you listen right now, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the oh, it's so good. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace on your feet. Take up the shield of faith, extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, 
the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And do what with it all? Pray. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. Please, if you could leave a five-star review, we greatly appreciate it because it's free for you to do. And it's it spread, it gets us in the algorithm, it spreads the podcast further and farther. So if you find this a value, uh, I'm grateful for you very much. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. This is Politics by Faith. Mike Slater.